0: We are diving into part two of our discussion of our new book, What Does Your Soul Love? So when it comes to our life in Christ, change is part of the invitation, and transformation is essential to the journey. But we get stuck when we let what we perceive to be negative emotions and issues stop us from moving forward. Today, we're going to address pain, fear, control, and finally, joy on the Unhurried Living Podcast. Mm -hmm.
1: So as we begin, could we ask for your help? Uh, As we said, you know, last week, our new book came out and we really would love it if you'd help us get the word out about it. So would you be willing to share this podcast with a friend or two? Maybe you can think of someone who'd benefit from this conversation about change. You can use the sharing feature on your app and send this episode to a friend and invite them to subscribe. Again, we really would appreciate your help.
0: So today we're going to just take a deep dive, because this book we've written, again, as we've said, is about transformation and change, and we promised last week that we are pulling no punches.
1: And of the four (laughs) questions, three of these four are perhaps the most challenging places into which God invites us on the journey of transformation.
0: Oh, yeah. Pain, fear, and control. And then Mm -hmm. just for good measure, we're going to end talking about joy. (laughs) That's a good way to end. (laughs) So let's start with pain, and the question that goes with that is, how are you suffering? So when it comes to pain, my soul loves to learn to trust God in the midst of hardship, loss, and even pain.
1: Yeah. Now, it doesn't sound very fun, and we're not saying that this is fun. The The reality is that the transforming journey sometimes takes me through places of discomfort. I mean, if you've ever had to have physical therapy, you know, physical therapy is almost always at least uncomfortable and, and maybe painful, but it's a pathway to fuller function or restored function. You're getting back something you lost. If you don't take that painful journey, you might not get back what, you're wanting to have in terms of capacity or strength or whatever. And I have to be very honest on this question, the question of pain, is I have had a bad habit of avoiding my pain or numbing my pain, or I pretend I'm not in pain. And, you know, it really doesn't matter in my case whether it's severe pain or just some mild discomfort. My guess is I'm not the only one with an issue like this. So pretending we don't hurt or trying to avoid or numb our pain doesn't let pain do its work. Uh, Pain, most of the time, is trying to communicate to, to us something that's out of alignment. And that often, if we would listen to what it is saying, we would find our way, again, this would be another pathway into a place of healing or wholeness into which God is wanting to invite us.
0: Yeah, and recovery comes as I learn to actually experience my pain, face my pain, and even live my pain. Mm. And when I've done this, I've actually discovered it to be a path of transformation.
1: Yeah, and in the book, we quote uh, a fairly well-known line from Julian of Norwich, the line that goes, all shall be well, and all shall be well, and every manner of thing shall be well. And it sounds kind of you know, it can sound to some ears like it. that's that's easy for you to say, you know, oh, it's all going to be OK. It's going to be fine. Right. But that's not at all what Julian uh, is saying. In fact, it would probably help us to realize that she says these words, having almost died from an illness, uh, living during the Black Plague, a season in which millions and millions of people died and living during uh, the Hundred Years' War between England and France, again, where millions of people died. So if you want to just look at circumstantial reality in her life, nothing looked well. Her health didn't look well. The, 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 The disease that was running rampant surely didn't look well. And the ongoing war that lasted longer than a human lifetime didn't look very well. But God, in the midst of all of those circumstantial realities, sort of reveals to Julian that this is not the end of the story. None of these things are the end of the story. All shall actually be well. There is a vision in the heart of God of things being restored and renewed and brought back to his original design.
0: Yeah, you know, unresolved pain is actually a really, really great teacher, um, I guess now more than 10 years ago, maybe 12 years now? No, 11. Hmm. Um, I had I was in the worst pain of my life. And I share this story in the book. I'm not going to go into detail right now, but it, it was nerve pain, and it was horrible, and it wouldn't quit. It slowly subsided over the course of six months, but in the first part of that, it was quite unbearable. And I'm not saying that in that was I was I thankful? <laughs> was I happy?
1: You were surviving <laughs> is what I remember. I was remember, only trying to.
0: Only getting through every day. So let's be real here. Pain hurts and pain that goes on for a long time hurts worse. It's just a long hard process. But it is true that pain is a great teacher. Now in the midst, I might not have been learning anything, but I was being formed. And I can let you know that I met God in a very, very unique way in the middle of the worst part of the pain. Hmm. See, God of the cross, Jesus on the cross, the suffering Christ, wants to meet us. And there's some times in some ways when you're in your worst pain where you can come to know God in a way that you can't in any other way. And yeah. so then we have to decide, is that a gift or not?
1: Yeah. It's, the... Yeah. Paul talks about wanting to know Christ, wanting to know the the power of his resurrection. It's it's fun to be friends when there's something to celebrate. But he also says that he wants to know him in the fellowship of his sufferings. And there is something about uh, what is hard for us, what is painful for us, that becomes a place of friendship with God, that he understands and empathizes, as you say, because of Christ, because of Christ, crucified. Someone has said, you'll share your joys with anybody, but your pains, your sufferings, your hardships, those you reserve for an inner circle of trusted friends. And there's a sense in which God invites us into that circle of friendship in our own hard places, struggle places, uncomfortable places, and in fact, painful places.
0: Yeah, so it's from within those places of pain and suffering that we become even more effective as we speak as we live and as we lead, because you've seen this, people actually respond more deeply to lived grace. So, if we've managed to make it through our pain, our lives become more genuine, more authentic, and people are drawn to that. Mm. So let's move on from pain to fear. Mm. Every once in a while we have to giggle about this because we are tackling.
1: These are hard (laughs) topics. Maybe
0: it's my own uncomfortableness, so I apologize. But we're moving from pain to fear. And the question for fear is, what are you afraid of? So when it comes to fear, my soul loves it when the love of God is displacing my fear in my life.
1: Yeah, so this is a journey I know very well, you know. Uh, when Paul talks to Timothy about his being timid, I can identify with Timothy. I, I have a tendency to be timid. Fear has been an issue I've had to lean into all along my life. So what I have come to learn in terms of this transforming journey is that fear and anxiety are a drain of energy if I listen to their threats, if I listen to their warnings, if I listen to their dire predictions, But God is, in the midst of those fears and anxieties, inviting me to listen to his voice, the one that always seems to be saying something like, Alan, don't be afraid. You're not alone in this. I'm with you. See, the thing is, the fears and the anxieties that arise up within me are usually wrong. I've said before, they are miserably poor predictors of the future. So when I put my trust in them by giving an ear to their voices, to to giving credibility to their messages, I'm listening to someone who's profoundly mistaken. My fears and my anxieties do not do a very good job predicting the future. The other thing that I've learned and we talk about in the book is Fear is one of those strange things. It's very hard, if not impossible, to directly help somebody's fears. Like if you just say to somebody, oh, don't be afraid. Fear doesn't go away in the next nanosecond. It's like, oh, that's easy for you to say. I'm the one feeling afraid. And if you look in the uh, story of Scripture, what you keep seeing God do is he doesn't really address fear directly as much as he promises to be present. So, you know, Moses says, well, I'm not a speaker. I'm afraid, you know, uh, Pharaoh won't listen to me. Well, God doesn't come along and say, oh, Moses, you're a great speaker. You're going to do an excellent job. You'll, You'll just do great. Because the problem with trying to encourage fear is fear always has an answer. Yeah, but whereas if God says, you know what, I will be with you, that is a journey, a transformation. We begin to realize that God will always be bigger than the fears that threaten me and the anxieties that uh, come along. One of the passages we unpacked in this is the language of uh, Psalm 27, where David begins his prayer and says, The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? So again, you know, what David learns there is, he doesn't focus first on his fear. He focuses first on the God who is with him, a God who is light, a God who is a savior, a God who is a stronghold in a safe place. And that's what I've been learning, that in the midst of my noisy, threatening fears, there is one even bigger than those things that I can sort of cast my gaze to and put my fears into some kind of perspective.
0: Yeah. And with fear, we're, we're, there's a dynamic here that's actually similar to resistance that we spoke about last week. We're going to bring up the word through again. Remember, we talked about resistance and the way to mo- is to move through. And with fear, the through comes in when you actually let yourself feel your fear. You know, we've, we've talked about numbing many times. Um, we find ways to deny or push down or to numb. Um, and this, again, is not fun. But letting yourself feel the fear is the way to help it dissipate. You can um, stop yourself in the middle of any day and just become aware. If you become aware, I'm I'm afraid. You can tell, usually your body is telling you there's some kind of pit in your stomach or your shoulders are tight or something is happening. And maybe we're also talking about anxiety here. Mm. Sometimes fear and anxiety... uh, There's
1: definitely some overlap. There's
0: some overlap. They do have different definitions and connotations, but... Fear or anxiety here, if you can feel it in your body, let yourself feel it. Notice where it is. It has a way of loosening up once you acknowledge its presence. So this means, um, kind of comes back to our unhurried way of life. If you're running at a busy pace, you may just be a victim of this feeling that's hanging on you for a day or a week or even months. An unhurried heart keeps you in touch with what's going on in your mind, your heart, your body, and you can take the time to stop. And again, just like we're talking about resistance, it's noticing it and acknowledging it and mm. moving through it. So that may sound simplistic. There are some fears that we have that are more deep, more pervasive, and they have history. And, of course, then we're talking about counseling or spiritual direction. We're talking about right now in this uh Part of the conversation more about the day to day fears that we have that come up that we can just feel, face them, and move through them we don't have to be trapped you
1: know we and and we can remember we are fearful in the presence of God yes. you know we don't we don't fight our fears like you know it's you know someone to get on the wrestling mat with. We don't run away from our fears and try to avoid them, yeah. and we don't let our fears just paralyze us as though we're trapped inside of this little, constrictive, fearful place. But rather than those reactions, I bring my fear into yeah. the presence of God, and I hear God's voice again saying, Alan, don't be afraid. I'm with you.
0: Yes. That's one of my favorite verses in the Bible is from Psalm sixty two one, and I think it's in an older version of an NIV Um, it says it this way, my soul finds rest in God alone. I have actually used that verse as a chant one other time when I had some severe physical pain. um, That verse works in pain, it works in fear, and um, it's just a beautiful prayer. My soul finds rest in God alone. Every single word of that sentence matters.
1: Yeah, and it's got a beautiful sort of poetic uh, rhythm to it.
0: Yes. Yeah. yeah, there's a wonderful cadence to it. So I would recommend that you memorize that particular version, My Soul Finds Rest in God Alone, and use it on the go. So let's move now from fear to control. Mm-hmm. And the question that goes with control is, what are you clinging to? Mm. And when it comes to control, my soul loves to be abandoned to the loving and good purposes of God to me.
1: Yeah. And so this sort of speaks to one of the, the big invitations that God is continually extending to me. And it's some version of the invitation to surrender. Now, as North Americans, we do not like the idea of surrender. We don't like feeling out of control. But at the heart of this chapter is the, the realization and then the trusting that there is someone actually in control, that one of the names for God is that he is a sovereign. Mm. And yeah, you know, it may well be that we look around in our world and say, how in the world could this world be one in which God has any kind of control at all? It doesn't look like he does. Well, that's part of the trusting journey that that God's control spans a much wider range of time. Than my immediate experience does. And so when it comes to this instinct to take control, one of the things I found myself recently saying to a young man uh, with whom I meet regularly, I said, You know what the ideal situation would be in which to grow spiritually? And he sort of looked at me and wondered what I was going to say. I said, "The, The ideal situation in which to grow spiritually is your life right now, exactly as you find it. So clinging to some idealized situation that would be better, a better place for me to grow, I'd grow much better if this wasn't happening, or I'd grow much better if this was happening. No, the life I have right now, with all of its challenges, with all of its joys, with all of its opportunities, this is the exact place, the perfect place where God wants to work. I can't do a better job of, you know, sort of taking control of things and reorganizing and remanufacturing them into some other situation. I can't do a better job than God can do right now, right here, where I find myself. So on the theme of transformation, one of the authors I've come to love over the years, Jean-Pierre de he wrote a book, the old title of it was Self-Abandonment to Divine Providence. Uh, That sounds a little (laughs) ominous, doesn't it? (laughs) Uh, the, a common contemporary title for it has been a phrase he uses in that book, which is the sacrament of the present moment. So on that theme, he says this, God's designs, God's good pleasure, the will of God, the action of God, and his grace are all one and the same thing in this life. They are God working in the soul to make it like himself. And so perfection or wholeness is nothing else than the faithful cooperation of the soul with the work of God. And it begins, grows, and is consummated in our souls, secretly and without our being aware of it. So transformation is the fruit of God's pleasure, God's intentions, God's purposes, and God's work, which are not a bunch of different things, but actually facets of one single rich divine reality. This moment, exactly as I find it, is the exact moment in which I can encounter the transforming grace of God.
0: Yeah, bearing up under the weight of control can take its toll. Mm. We find we're unable to keep going while we're carrying the weight around on our shoulders. So much of the stress in our lives is actually caused by our expectations, as well as trying to control situations so they turn out the way we think we should. Uh, in my conversations with people, I find that actually the the weight of the situation happens with our extra thoughts, our extra expectations and our extra feelings about what's going on as opposed to what's actually going on. Hmm. So sometimes we can learn to just release a bit and we'll find that we're we're adding to the pressure, N- not that we want to, but we end up doing it anyway with our own our own expectations. So sometimes, if you can just lift those expectations, Um, that sense of needing to be in control, uh, some of that pressure can lift. And there's three words that I actually like to use that are very specific to this, um, releasing. And these three words are small, simple, and gracious. So if you're going to be doing something, start with it being small, as small as possible, not heroic, not earth-shaking, Um, Get the habit going first before you make any kind of major uh, demand on yourself. So Mm. small, Mm -hmm. Uh, simple, not complicated, right? Um, Doesn't have to be dramatic. Simple, I like to say, can you describe this to a third grader and would they be able to understand? And then gracious, take a breath. There's no need for judgment or perfectionism. You can be gracious with yourself as you move forward. So again, it's small, simple, and gracious. You can use this on yourself to release some expectations, to release pressure, to release that clinging sensation that you have, um, and just blow some grace onto the situation.
1: So this is, you know, these three words, small, simple, gracious, they're, they're wonderful, almost counterintuitive antidotes to our tendency to take control. It's the realization that um, something more like a seed uh, being planted, rather than me wrapping my arms around it and trying to you know, contain it and control it, is a better move. It's yeah. more of a transforming move. So we had three challenging uh, chapters, but we, the fourth uh, today that we're going to talk about is the, the chapter focused on joy.
0: Yeah, so we're moving to joy. And the question for joy is actually the title of our book, and it's where the title came from. The question is, what does your soul love? And when it comes to joy, my soul loves to being strengthened by the joy of God for me and in me.
1: Yeah, earlier in one of the other chapters, you talked about how sometimes our Christian journey can end up feeling like a a lot of have-tos and need-tos and shoulds. And the problem with those is they are not a... Uh, a very lasting way to sustain us. Uh, They're not a fuel for the long obedience in the same direction that Eugene Peterson talked about uh, so often. So instead, the joy of the Lord strengthens us, and that's to say God's own joy strengthens us, and our experience of that joy rising up within us strengthens us. Now, You know, one of the letters where Paul writes the most about the theme of joy is his letter to the Philippians. In fact, there's three different times that this little phrase, rejoice in the Lord, shows up. And, you know, we've heard that phrase. We've heard songs where that phrase is used. We've had people probably say that phrase to us. But see, the thing is, Paul isn't excited about his situation. I mean, in this letter, he writes from prison. There are people who are trying to make him feel bad by doing what he was supposed to have been doing if he wasn't in prison. There were people in the church not getting along so well, so he didn't have a real joyful situation, which is why he says rejoice in. It's not a rejoice about as much as it is a rejoice in. This inner and relational joy energizes our transformation, and it's the fruit of a communion with God who is joyful, the most joyful being in the universe is what Dallas Willard always said. And so joy really is the place where God wants me to make myself at home. Joy doesn't go around disregarding painful realities about our personal failures or our shortcomings or our difficult situations, but joy is holy energy moving us in the direction of transformation.
0: Yeah, this question actually emerged for me in a time where I think I might have been dry or some version of dry, dark night-ish, mm. <laughs> maybe stuck. And and I remember thinking one time, I actually have a visual of this. I think we were in I was out in the front uh, near our mailbox mm. as I was thinking this through. And um, the question emerged, what is your soul love? I I think I was stuck with. Do you know sometimes, does this ever happen to you? You have your sort of Christian to-do list of things you're supposed to be doing to be a good Christian, mm. and then for whatever reason, they just stop working, and, and you enter into sort of this dry place with kind of no motivation. Now, there's other reasons for being there that you'd have to discern. We don't want to just be lazy. Sure. But sometimes you're just dry, and I just think this is a great question to ask in that time what does your soul love what is wrong with engaging with god in practices and in ways that you are actually drawn to and sometimes when ways we've been practicing meeting with god don't work it, it could be an invitation to a new way of engaging desire so now we're going back to one of our other chapters but mm-hmm. This is a way of actually engaging desire, because isn't that question big that what does your soul love that has yeah. to do with desire sure, so I think it's an invitation to go further down in, find what you love what is what makes your soul enliven and I think this can be different all to a person mm-hmm. It's not just about personality it's how God has made you how his how does he draw you to him specifically in all your quirky ways, and so I think it's a good question to ask when times might be dry. So let's go back to what Alan was saying too. Um, What if my joy is a relationship to deepen rather than a frantic search for a prize that's playing hard to get? You know, joy isn't a consumer good I'm trying to get enough of. Joy is a reality of the soul of which I have an abundant supply. And holy joy changes us As we do what we do day to day, joy is an actual engine for transformation. And the way to come around to joy sometimes, I think, is to ask this question, what does my soul love?
1: Yeah, and somehow it's going to be rooted in God's unique design of you. Yeah. It's going to be a fruit of your own growing and deepening rootedness in friendship with God you're going to find that's the joy that lasts. That the, That's the joy that can flourish even in the desert. That's the joy that can flourish even when things are difficult, when we find ourselves in a season that feels more testing than like a blessing. Our
0: closing chapter in the book is called Process, Staying on the Path of Change. And we want to share two final insights about the transformation of our lives in Christ.
1: Yeah, so one of the things that we we think is really important to say is that being transformed in, into the image of Christ is not just a personal improvement project we aren't just seeking our own joy our our own peace our own pleasure we are actually being transformed for the good of others you know god for example invites abraham to a life of blessing not just so he can be blessed but so that he might have the capacity to bless bless others the The exact language was, I will make you into a great nation, and I will bless you, and I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. We're being transformed so that our lives more fully reflect the generosity and the graciousness and the kindness and the goodness of who God is. All the ways in which who God is benefits us, and then through us benefits others. So, He uh, wants to bless us beyond our ability to imagine it. And he wants us to be enabled to be a blessing beyond what we thought was possible. So these are key intentions of God in our transforming journey. The other thing that I want to say is that being transformed as a creative expression of the divine artist is such an honor. We really are God's handiwork, God's piece of creative uh, artwork. We are created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. So this is what I want to say when it comes to the matter of being transformed. We are not junk needing to be radically repurposed. We are masterpieces needing to be restored. See, original goodness precedes original sin. This is absolutely critical, that when God looks at our lives... He doesn't just see a mess. He sees a masterpiece that needs to be restored. That's a very different understanding of how God is redeeming and restoring us.
0: There is a beautiful invitation at the end of the book. It is what we imagine the invitations of Jesus might sound like in the spirit of these questions. If you're not driving or walking, you might want to close your eyes and hear the invitation of Jesus. Follow me. Let me help you experience the fuller reality of my kingdom. You needn't be afraid because you've never been alone on this journey. You might find a no rising up from within you, even as you intend to say yes to me. I can help you discern the guiding voice of the Spirit. It is safe to fully open your thoughts, your emotions, your intentions to me. I already know what you may be timid to reveal. Let's look at it all together. I know what you want and what you think you want. I want to fulfill your truest, deepest longings in ways you couldn't begin to imagine. You will find lasting energy for the journey as you come to more fully realize how much pleasure I take in you and in all creation. You can lean into what hurts and find a fruitful way forward. Wouldn't you prefer the pain of training to the pain of consequences? You can trust that I am watching over you and release your white-knuckle grip on things.
1: Yeah, I really like how we closed the book that way. Uh, it's a beautiful vision of all of these questions really grew out of the heart of God for us, that he's for us and that he wants good for us, and that that's what lies at the, the transforming journey into which we're invited So as we close this episode, let us remind you again, you can go get a copy of the book for yourself. Go to any uh, online bookseller or your favorite local bookstore and get a copy of What Does Your Soul Love? So we pray blessings to you as you continue to cooperate with God in your own transforming journey. As always, we love connecting with more and more friends like you who want to rest deeper, live fuller, and lead better.